And as you're being seated, take your Bibles and open to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, you have revealed your great and awesome name to us. You have placed that name on us. We bear that name as Christians. We ask, Father, that you would help us not to lift up your name to emptiness. Help us to understand your command, to love your command, and to keep your command as your Son kept it, and that He glorified your name. Let us glorify your name by how we talk about you, how we worship you in this service, through this sermon. Help me to glorify your name by speaking what is just and right and true and glorifying to you and to your holy name. We pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. When we look... Four weeks ago, on the 22nd of May, at what is required in this commandment. The third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's name. And we saw that in a variety of ways. Today we're going to look at the flip side, what is forbidden, what is not allowed according to this third commandment. And what's not allowed is simple. No empty saying of God's name, no empty bearing of God's name. Don't say God's name in an empty way. Don't bear God's name in an empty way. Those who do so will not go unpunished. So there's two different things here. There's the verbal lifting up of God's name where you say the name of God or talk about God in some way. And there's your life. You carry God's name as a Christian. And so you can talk about God in an empty way, or you can live in a way that reflects negatively on God. We'll talk first about the verbal side of the commandment. Talking about God. And of course, the thing that comes to mind first is oaths. That is, Things like the phrase, oh my God. We've all heard people say it. Some of us have said it. And yes, that phrase is categorically forbidden by the third commandment. That is a classic example of taking God's name in vain. To simply throw around the name of God as an expression that means something roughly like, This is surprising to me. Or, I am shocked to hear that. That is not what God's name is for. God's name is not for you and me 
to throw around to mean, I'm stunned. Don't say, oh my God. If you want to offend God for no reason, throw around his name. As the poet George Herbert comments, even if I was an Epicurean, if I loved all the pleasures of the flesh, I could still stop swearing. There is no reason to swear with the name of God. You don't get anything out of it. It's not even like gluttony or adultery where there seems to be some pleasure attached. There's no reason to misuse the name of God in oaths. Whether you say God or Jesus, or if you refer to things that are closely associated with God, such as hell or the concept of damnation. These are things that are within God's power. And again, to throw them around as exclamations of surprise or outrage is not acceptable. That is an empty lifting up of the name of God. But along these same lines, you can misuse God's name, not just by saying the words God or Jesus, but also by saying minced oaths. That is where you, you know, to mince some vegetables is to cut them up into small pieces. To mince an oath is to cut it up into small pieces. Instead of saying the full word, Jesus, you take the first syllable and say, sheesh, or geez. It's the same word as Jesus. It's just minced. That is, cut into a smaller fragment. As if chopping the name of God into bits and then misusing it were less offensive to the Almighty than misusing His whole name. Other ways of doing this are the classic gosh. Uh, Take the word God, you drop the D, you put an SH on the end, and instead of God, you say gosh. The same goes for golly, or Christ's sakes, or lordy, or these other forms of basically taking the name of God and saying some part or fraction or sound from within it as your preferred method of swearing. So, anything where you are verbally invoking God's name carelessly or lightly is a sin forbidden by this commandment. And that includes portions or pieces of God's name. But along these same lines, even if you aren't explicitly invoking the name of God, you can still swear in an offensive or evil fashion. And that would be any kind of of careless oath. Now some of us in our secular jobs have to take an oath of office. Uh, You might be referred to as sworn personnel. Somebody who has perhaps an elective office taken an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Or somebody who has taken an oath to enforce the laws of Campbell County and the state of Wyoming in a just and fair fashion. Or somebody who, like myself, has taken an oath of ordination, ordination vows in the sight of God, to obey God, to shepherd this particular flock, to believe what's in the Bible, to maintain my life in a way that's in accordance with the commands of God. There are all kinds of positions, from temporary duties like that of a witness in a courtroom, 
all the way through a permanent lifelong post, such as ordination to gospel ministry, that require an oath of office. And to take such an oath without careful consideration of the God who hears that oath and enforces that oath is to break this commandment. It is to take the name of God in vain. Because even if you don't put at the end, so help me God, to swear is to affirm in the presence of somebody who will know whether you're lying. If you're a witness in a courtroom, the judge may not be able to tell whether you're lying. The counsel for the defense, the counsel for the prosecution, they may not be able to tell whether you're lying. The fact that you raise your right hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, to say the word swear means I am doing this in the presence of God Almighty who can tell the difference. Something like Huck Finn, who was, or was it Tom Sawyer, he was required to swear. And they put his hand on a book and he got all afraid. Then he looked down and saw that the book was a dictionary. And he felt free to lie because he wasn't swearing in the presence of God. The dictionary didn't know whether he was lying. Now, that Huck had bad theology. Whether you're swearing on a dictionary or on a Bible or on a Quran, it, a oath is an oath, and it's taken in the presence of the living God who hears and who pays attention and who promises anyone who takes my name lightly, I will not hold guiltless. So don't take an oath, and that includes a marriage vow. Don't take that lightly without considering in whose presence you are taking it. What about other kinds of oaths? The coarsening of our culture is such that most of us can remember a time when certain words earned big fines from the FCC and now are thrown around all the time on broadcast media and in various other contexts. Then there's the ubiquitous F cancer sticker that even some professing Christians put on the back of their car. One of our neighbors has this sticker and I ride by it all the time. There it is. What is that? Well... A curse, which is what the, the F word is in this context, a curse is also an oath, as in an appeal to God. When my neighbor asks for cancer to have that done to it, he's not saying that he will do it. He is appealing to some power capable of destroying cancer. What is that power? Not medical science, but the God who created and sustains the world. This, every curse is a way of calling on God. And so the same goes for the now ubiquitous let's go Brandon phrase that you can see around town on flags or shirts or bumper stickers. I stopped the other week to take a picture of two cars parked next to each other that both had this sticker in the back window. What is that? Well, again, that is calling on God. You are asking for that to happen to our president. You're not saying that you're going to do it. You're not saying that Mrs. Biden will do it. You're not saying that Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping will do it. You are calling on God to perform that. That is to destroy with a curse the person whom you are cursing. The kind of destruction that could only be delivered by the Almighty. 
Now to say that, when God does not attach his name to that, when God to curse the one whom God has not cursed, to denounce the one whom God has not denounced, is a misuse of the name of God. Now, you may have reason to believe that the curse of God is on various politicians or on various diseases. God will certainly wipe out the wicked. The rest of these commandments talk about that. But that's his purview. We need to be at least as cautious about negative oaths, curses, as we are about positive oaths or affirmations that we will tell the truth or that we will preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution or that we will enforce the laws fairly or that we will maintain our lives as ministers of the gospel or whatever positive oaths you may be under. So both blessings and curses are prayers that invoke God. And asking God to perform vulgar acts to cancer or to politicians or to anything else is not right for a Christian or for anyone. It dishonors the name of God to attach it to such a sentiment. So be careful with oaths. It's the most frequent, the most common, and the easiest way of verbally lifting up God's name to emptiness. But there's other kinds of verbal lifting up of God's name to emptiness as well. The second kind is the more heinous version of an oath, blasphemy. That is, to deliberately ascribe to God something evil. From sort of polite blasphemy of Richard Dawkins saying, the God of the Old Testament is the most unpleasant character in all fiction, to the blasphemy that you might run into in a toilet stall Somewhere, I still remember being in a church in London, England, St. Martin in the Fields, I think it was, and the toilets were in the basement, and somebody had written this horrible blasphemy on the bathroom stall in a church, obviously thinking that it was very funny. But in there as a teenager, I was stunned. That was blasphemy, and that was a violation of this command. However, It's easy to look around at the world and say, well, the world throws around curses, the world blasphemes, the world takes God's name in vain. But honestly, maybe, I said oaths are the most common, maybe this one, thoughtless worship, is even a more common way of dishonoring the name of God. Because let's face it, we come together for two or three hours every Sunday to talk about God. So if we're here talking about God for two hours straight in the morning and then for another hour in the evening, do we have plenty of opportunities to talk about Him carelessly, thoughtlessly, lightly, with our minds disengaged? Prayer is one of the biggest times when people take God's name in vain. Because we often let our mouths continue to pray when our minds have left the scene and are somewhere else. And to do that, any kind of thoughtless worship where I'm talking about God, but I'm not thinking about God, is to take God's name lightly, to lift up his name to emptiness, which is a literal translation of taking his name in vain. If I lift up his name, I lift up his name emptily when I'm saying something that I'm not even paying any attention to. 
When you stop paying attention, you need to stop praying. Attaching God's name to anything without his approval. We do this in worship. We have prayers. And what do we do? At the end, we literally put in Jesus' name. We attach the name of God to the prayer. But not every prayer that we Christians pray is something that God endorses. Jesus says, pray in my name. What he means is not add the formula, in Jesus' name, amen, to the end of every prayer. That's not what praying in the name of Jesus is. We do that, but that's not what he meant. He meant, pray for things that I have authorized. Pray for things that you can legitimately attach my name to. So, for example, you know, there's all kinds of things. But I could say, take an aggregate. You know, I could go to General Assembly this week and I could tell a fellow pastor that I run into there, everyone in my congregation is a registered Republican. Now, I know for a fact that that's not the case. And there are some of you out here who say, I'm not a registered Republican. I would be taking your name in vain to attach your name to something to which it is not attached. In the same way, if you pray saying that it's in Jesus' name that you want X, Y, or Z, when that is not something Jesus has authorized, you are taking his name lightly. You are lifting it up to emptiness, claiming that he has put his name on something that he hasn't. As we talked about four weeks ago, that goes in spades for our medical and political opinions. To say, this is what I believe about how to be treated. This is what I believe about health, diet, whatever, medicine. And Jesus believes it too. And if you disagree with me, you're probably a bad Christian. That's taking God's name in vain. Or attaching God's name to our financial opinions. You don't have X amount saved? You borrowed money to buy what? God is against that. No. God has not said specific teaching on how much money is wrong to borrow. Or the classic one, war, who would Jesus bomb? Again, foreign policy is not something that can be lifted whole cloth directly out of the Bible. We Christians have this annoying habit of taking our own opinions and attaching God's name to them. We should not do that. In fact, if we do that, we violate this third commandment. We are taking God's name and lifting it up emptily attaching it to something that he hasn't attached it to. We even do this, if you go to the Christian bookstore, they sell candy with a verse on the wrapper, and they call it testaments. Right? Attaching God's name to a piece of candy. Now, there's nothing wrong with putting a verse on your candy wrapper, but thinking that a candy with a verse on it is more spiritual than candy without a verse on it is absurd. God has not attached his name to a particular candy. There is no candy that is God's candy when the other candy is Satan's candy. It's just not true. So God wants us instead to make our priorities 
both in prayer and in life, the things he has attached his name to, which is what? His people. The people of God. God has put his name on us as his people. And his word, he's put his name on the spine of this book. Holy Bible, and it should say author, right? God, right there in the author section on the cover, because the Bible is God's word. And he over and over and over puts his name on that. His son, he gives his name to his son. It's Father's Day, all of us in here, guys, with sons, we are proud to give our name to our son. My son is a Nelson, praise God. Our Heavenly Father is proud to give His name to His Son. So our focus should be on the things that God has attached His name to. Father gives His name to His Spirit. The Spirit of God. He's called that over and over. The Spirit of the Son. The Spirit of Jesus. The name of God is on the Holy Spirit. And so the bulk of our energy... And the bulk of our prayers should be directed to things that God has already put his name on. Pray for the people of God, the kingdom of God, the word of God. Pray to the Son of God, by the Spirit of God. Pray to God as Father. That's why Jesus tells us to start our prayers with a reference to God's name. Our Father who art in heaven, we say his name and then we ask, Hallowed be your name. not necessarily wrong to pray for other things. But when our prayers sound more like a Christmas list than they do like a passage of Scripture, we are taking God's name in vain when we shove, in Jesus' name, amen, onto the end of that prayer. So, many ways to verbally lift up God's name to emptiness. Careless oaths, blasphemy, thoughtless worship, attaching God's name to something without his approval, all of these are violations of this commandment and things that are not proper for the people of God. But we don't just say God's name, we also bear God's name. We looked at that last time, the various verses, such as 1 Peter, if any of you suffers as a Christian, Let him rejoice before God that he bears that name. Or 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face. God's name is on you. It was put on you when you were baptized. That's why historically people were given a christening or a baptismal name when they were baptized. Because baptism is about a new identity, a new name that comes from God. And that new name is Christian. You bear the name of Christ. And so, even if you don't ever talk about God, even if you never say anything that could remotely be construed as a name of God, your life reflects on the God whose name you bear. Thus, Paul, for instance, says this in Romans 2, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The enemies of God stand up and say, God is evil because look at his servant so-and-so. 
who just did something evil. And I've had people tell me, oh yeah, I know someone who won't work with Christians. Too many Christians have ripped him off. Name of God is blasphemed because of you. What was Paul quoting? He was quoting 2 Samuel 12, the prophet Nathan, who spoke to David about his murder and adultery and said, The Lord has taken away your sin, you shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Right? Look at David. Man after God's own heart, calls himself king. He's a murderer. He's a whoremonger. And God's enemies had a field day with that. And they can with any of us when our life contradicts our profession. We are capable of living in a way that discredits God by how we use our money, by how we treat our children, by how we speak or act or work in the workplace. Oh yeah, so-and-so is supposed to be a Christian. He does the shoddiest work that anyone's ever seen in this department. Don't do that. The final way that we break this command is by taking God and His punishments lightly. By saying, I don't care that the Lord will not hold me guiltless. Now, older commentators had lots of gruesome stories. The guy who blasphemed God and his tongue rotted out. Stuff like that. But for our age, I think the best example here is actually from the flip side. A man uh, some of us remember very well, William Jefferson Clinton, who famously violated this commandment by lying under oath to the grand jury that was investigating him. Now, as the New York Daily News sums it up, Clinton denied he was having sexual relations with the White House intern, figuring that Because the affair was long over and because they did not engage in intercourse, he was not technically and so on. You can fill in the rest. Now, what happened to Bill Clinton? Well, he's alive and well and uh, last fall was worth about $80 million. Now we can look at him and say, well, wait, God won't hold him guiltless. Where's the punishment? Why is Bill Clinton still doing just fine? And the answer is, the commandment doesn't say that if you take God's name in vain, you will be punished in this life. It doesn't say those who take God's name in vain will be impoverished, miserable, and meet an early death. Now, it does say that in the next commandment, or in the the fifth commandment about honoring father and mother, you will meet an early death if you don't know how to listen to your parents. But if you take God's name lightly, you can live long and prosper in this world. And you will face the judgment of God in the next world. God will not judge those who take his name in vain. The commandment doesn't say that human beings will judge you for this. It doesn't say you'll suffer in this life for this. But God will not let you off the hook. Now what does this mean? That all blasphemers are going to hell? No, God can forgive this sin. Paul says, I was once a blasphemer, but God forgave me. 
So what does it mean? God will not hold him guiltless. It means that we must not sin this sin. Don't experiment and try to find out what it means. Don't lift up God's name to emptiness verbally or by your life. Use God's name to fullness. Mean it when you call Jesus your Lord and Savior. Remember, your sin was not light on Him. He didn't take it lightly. Our sins were heavy. They crucified Him. They dragged Him down so He could not breathe. Our sin put Him on a cross cross, and crushed Him. Jesus tells us to lift up God's name to fullness. Jesus bore God's name perfectly. He showed us what it looks like to use God's name, to bear God's name to fullness. Every single time he opened his mouth and said anything about his Father. Everywhere he went, everything he did. He kept this commandment. And through him, we can be forgiven for breaking it, and we too can begin to keep it. Let's pray. Father, we've talked about you for this past hour and more, past two hours. We beg that you would forgive us for any time we have spoken your name lightly or lived lightly as bearers of your name. Father, we pray that you would help us to use your name to fullness, to never lift your name up in an empty way, Keep us from oaths. Keep us from blasphemy and thoughtless worship and from attaching your name to things that do not have your approval. Help us, Father, to live in a way that brings credit on your name, that shows the world the blessing that comes to those whom God blesses, those who bear his holy name. We pray these things now in the glorious name of your risen Son, Jesus our Lord. Amen.